0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 and 2. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Let's have a word of prayer together. O God in heaven, we pray that the Spirit of God would come this morning so that we would be convicted of our sins and drawn closer to Christ. We pray for backsliders to come back to Jesus, to receive full pardon for their sin, for the lost and those who stand under the sword of your wrath. We pray that today they would be rescued and brought into the safety of Jesus Christ, Pray for all of your people to be strengthened and that we would leave with a deeper love and a sense of gratitude for our Lord and, and Savior. Oh God, please anoint the hearing and preaching of your word. We are fully dependent upon you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So we're coming to the end of the Passion Week, and having been in the Passion Week for a while, the week leading up to the death of our Lord Jesus. We've come through the Last Supper in in Gethsemane where Jesus yields his human will to his Father and he has his mission before him. This is the moment for which he has been born, which is to die on the cross. And then in Gethsemane, he's arrested by the mob that is being led by Judas Iscariot, the traitor. They take him to the place of the high priest, Caiaphas, where there's a show trial, and they condemn him for being the Son of God, the Messiah. And then it is during this show trial that Peter, the the Apostle Peter, betrays the Lord or denies the Lord at least three times. And then the rooster crows. Peter comes under conviction. And that's where we end up now. We're We're just within hours of the crucifixion of Jesus. In this text this morning, these two verses are a pivotal moment in this ordeal. And the reason they are a pivotal moment in this ordeal is because it is at this moment that Jesus is handed over from the Jews to the Romans. So up until this point... He has been under the custody or in the custody of the Jews. And now the Jews are handing him over to the Romans. And the Romans will be the ones that execute him. Of course, that's at the will of the Jews. They want him dead. But it is the Romans that ultimately carry out the deed. This marks the collaboration of avowed enemies so you have the Jews and you have the Romans all of a sudden finding common cause in their hatred of Christ and they find common cause because there's so many that so desperately want to snuff him out and be done with him have him killed destroyed And so in this text today we see a great human effort a man made effort Men go to great lengths to have Christ killed, have him crucified. And in this human effort, we see that three points today. I want you to see the death of Christ and the man-made effort that goes into that. The death of Christ and the man-made theater or optics, the theatrics that are involved in this. And then the death of Christ and the man-made collaboration, the effort, the optics, the collaboration, the effort, the theater, and the collaboration. But I hope you will leave this sermon this morning with a sense of the depravity of the human heart, especially depravity of the people that turned Christ over, the people that had him killed. And behind that, I hope you see the hand of God, God's providential ruling over human affairs, as wicked as men are, and they're free agents, they're moral agents before God, as wicked as they are, God is sovereign over the most minute detail, over the whole affair. And so we have these two concepts that come together today. We have divine sovereignty and human agency. Men are going to be responsible for all of their deeds, and yet the Father in heaven, God in heaven, is over it all and God is without sin. And these two concepts come together today in what we call divine concurrence. Human agency and God's sovereignty concur together to carry out the same end. Man is fully a moral agent and God is fully sovereign. He's not half-sovereign and men aren't half-moral agents. Both of these concepts come together perfectly. And we see that today. And so we have the death of Christ and the man-made effort, the death of Christ and the man-made optics, and the death of Christ and the man-made collaboration. And behind that, we see the hand of God guiding the entire affair. Why? To bring about atonement. To bring about atonement for your sins so that Jesus Christ reached this point in history where he was crucified and died for sinners so that you and I can be saved and so that our sins can be forgiven. And in our sins being forgiven, they're forgiven in the death of Christ, and it was on that cross where they were atoned for. So I want you to see all of that this morning and we're going to start we're going to start by observing the death of Christ and this man-made effort. The death of Christ and the man-made effort to bring this about. I want you to see the great effort that these men go to, to have our Savior killed, to have him killed. And the religious leaders burned the midnight oil to kill Jesus. You see in verse 1, it says, when morning came. Well, morning came, and that follows verse 74 of the previous chapter, where it says at the end of verse 74, and immediately the rooster crowed. So the rooster crows, Peter falls under conviction, and then morning comes. This, you can go all the way back, actually, to Gethsemane in chapter 26, verse 47, where it says, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And so you, this is earlier in the evening. Then you get through Gethsemane, and you get to the trial in verse 57, in verse chapter 26, it says, and those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. There's the trial. You have the show trial before Caiaphas, and then you have the conviction that results in verse 65. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. Okay? They answered, He deserves death. You have the show trial, you have the conviction, you have the crowing of the rooster, and then you have mourning. And so you're left with the impression that these men have been working all night. They've been laboring hard. They've been burning the candle on both ends because they have some important business to take care of. And in their mind, the most important business, the most pressing issue that they've ever faced now is how can we make sure that Jesus is dead? They have to put an end to him. And they want him done with. And now now it's dawn, day's breaking. Morning time has come, and they're still working. And, and, And by the way... As you, as you look at this man made effort in the death of Christ, you need to understand that this is the busiest holiday of the year for these men. And they are the religious leaders of Israel. And so, on the busiest holiday of the year, during the busiest day of the year for them, because they oversee all of the sacrifices in the temple. And you have thousands of Jews streaming into Jerusalem to make sacrifices in the temple. They're overseeing all the sacrifices, they're overseeing the cleaning of the temple. All of this is going on. They're exhausted because they're meeting with people that they probably haven't seen in months, if not all year. And and they have all of their religious duties to tend to. And now what they're doing, they're up all night, planning and plotting and conniving to make sure that they have Jesus killed. Now, some of you might be able to relate what it is to pull an all-nighter. In school, you might have stayed up all night to get a paper done. To cram for an exam the night before and you, you get the coffee going and you consume as much coffee as you can and you pull your all-nighter because you figure you've got something very important the next day that you have to tend to and that's why you do it. You're willing to sacrifice your sleep and you're willing to be miserable the next day. Everyone else has to put up with you. You start seeing double while you're driving. You're willing to do that. Why? Because you've got something very important. That's why these guys are doing this. And they're not just doing it with the all-nighter. They're doing it after the busiest day of the year and the busiest season of the year. And they're doing it because they have something so important. And I mean, what could be more important than the crucifixion of Christ? They want them dead. And so they're willing to work all night to make it happen. John Trapp said, he said, they had broken their sleep the night before and yet were up at it early in the morning. And here's what I want you to note as we talk about this man-made effort to have Jesus Christ crucified, the wicked work overtime against the righteous. The wicked work overtime against the righteous. They plot. The demons of hell are plotting now. And the de- it's not just the demons of hell. They manifest themselves in certain people. And there's people that are actually plotting and planning on how to destroy God's work. And so there's 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 people that are conniving. The forces of hell are conniving on how to destroy your family, your children, and your wife, and your husband, and your marriage, and your church, and your community. They're working overtime and they're willing to go out, go without sleep for it to happen. And as you think about this, you ought to remember that this the next time you're too tired to pray in the morning. How many of you you set the alarm the night before with the best of intentions, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read my Bible. And then the alarm goes off, and ah, I think I'd prefer a few extra minutes of sleep today. And so you don't get up, and then you don't pray. you got just enough time for breakfast to grab a coffee and head out the door. But you don't get up to pray. But what I want you to remember next time that alarm goes off and you want to hit snooze and you're going to go without praying is is there's the demons of hell have been up all night trying to figure out how to destroy your children. Why wouldn't you get up and pray for them? And the demons of hell have been up all night trying to figure out how to destroy your marriage and bring your wife down or bring your husband down and you wouldn't get up and pray for them. And you wouldn't get up and pray for your church or your community or your country. I want you to know that there's dark forces at work in this world that want to wreck you and wreck your children and wreck your family and wreck your church and wreck your marriage. And it's upon you to rise early in the morning and plead with God. Just like Jesus told the disciples to in Gethsemane and they wouldn't do it. They were too busy sleeping. Well, this, is, this ought to really convict us, I think. We ought not be too tired to pray. We ought not be too tired to commune with our Lord before the day breaks. Why? Because the wicked have been up all night. The demons of hell have been up all night trying to figure out how to destroy us and our family and our church and our community. And and not only, like, as you think about this human effort that goes into destroying Jesus Christ, the death of Christ, and the man made effort, I want you to know it's not just one individual. What does it say? In verse 1, when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel. See that? All the chief priests and the elders of the people. All the chief priests and the elders of the people. That's a lot. The busiest, most important season of the year, and these are the busiest, most important men in all of Judea, this is speaking of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the Supreme Court of Israel with judicial, civil and religious powers. There's 71 men on the Sanhedrin. They're Jerusalem's top men. They're Israel's top men, 71 of them. and they've been up all night burning the midnight oil, burning the candle at both ends. Why? Because they want to destroy Christ, all of them. They're united. They're motivated. And they got lots of energy for it. This is an effort, an all-night effort, with dozens of busy, top, intelligent men who want to destroy Christ. And they had a purpose for this evening, this long night. Look at what it says in verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel. Now that word, took counsel, refers to come up with a plan or to strategize or consult. It was to pass a resolution because they were required under Roman law to pass a resolution together in order to have Christ executed because the Jews no longer had power to execute their own people. They had to pass that on to Rome. They had to defer it over to the Romans. Remember, Israel at this point was under Roman occupation. And because they were under Roman occupation, the Romans, they, they were once a sovereign, independent nation. But under Roman rule, the Romans had stripped them of some of their powers. And one of the powers that the Romans had stripped them of was the ability to carry out capital punishment. And you see that come through in John 18, verse 31, just to, to make it clear that this is from Scripture. We know this. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves... And judge him by your law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So the Jews were stripped of this power. And this was a meeting all night after the trial to bring forth a resolution in the appropriate way. So that Jesus could be handed over to the Romans. And the Romans would inflict upon him the capital sentence of death. And so that's what they resolved to do. The whole purpose of it, as we see... When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus. Why? To put him to death. Kill him. There's your purpose. They know what they wanted. And they know what they wanted to get, and they're getting it. So, dozens of top men met all through the night on the busiest day of the busiest week of their year to counsel together, to bring forward a resolution in order to secure the death of Christ at the hands of the Romans. Have him killed and executed. That's the human effort that goes into the death of our Savior. Pay attention. Godless people work very hard. They're controlled by the forces of hell. And they work very hard, they exhaust themselves to thwart the servants of God. They come up with plans, they come up with ideas, and they're absolutely exhausting them. Don't underestimate the dark forces of evil and the legions of Satan that are right now meeting to destroy The work of Jesus Christ, and especially His church and His people. Don't underestimate it. And I, look, like we learned a week and a half ago, hopefully you saw the clip online, Pastor Steve Richardson saying, look, some of these demons, they only come out with prayer and fasting. And like why, I'm not just saying we should be praying, but we should be fasting. If you have an issue in your family, or you have an issue with your children, An issue that's very pressing. Won't you not just rise up early in the morning to pray for them, but beyond that, won't you fast for them? Begging that the Lord will put an end to the torments of their souls as the demons of hell are trying to ravish them and wreck their lives and wreck your family. Won't you take that responsibility on yourself and say, I will get up and wage war on behalf of my family, on behalf of my church, on behalf of my community, and I will deprive myself of food, as the Scripture teaches me, for hours in order to see to it that the Lord Jesus Christ conquers these wicked forces and this is done with. This is upon us. And I really believe that if Christians had half the drive that the devil has and that is demonstrated here, we might really see the kingdom of God do some damage on the works of the evil one. We just had half the drive. You know, like these guys are up all night, but if we had half the drive, wouldn't that be something else? Well, this is the death of Christ in the man-made effort. We have godless people working very hard, exhausting themselves, To bring about their wicked plans. Uh, How about this? The death of Christ, not just the man-made effort, but the man-made optics. This is a show trial, and one thing that we should expect of hypocrites, because the word hypocrite simply means actor. One thing we ought to expect of hypocrites is theatrics. Optics. They're concerned. The hypocrite is more concerned about what you perceive about him than he is about the truth. He's not concerned about truth, he's concerned about what you think is the truth. That's the hypocrite. He's concerned not not about the truth, but about optics, what you think the truth is. And so, with the show trial, we have some show enforcement, all this man-made theater. Verse 2, it says, and they bound him and led him away. Now, remember, this is in the morning, so day's breaking, sun's coming up, and they need to transfer Jesus from the place of the trial now to Pilate's house. And so he's going to somehow go through the streets of Jerusalem, and they want everyone to see him, coughed and shackled. And it's really an odd statement when you think about it. They bound him and led him away, because Christ had already voluntarily turned himself in. He's not a flight risk. In fact, we have no indication in the Gospels at all that he put up any resistance to them because he'd already settled the matter in Gethsemane, believing that this was God's purpose for him, and he was yielding his his life to the hands of God and for God's purpose. This is the moment for which he's been born. So he's not putting up any resistance in this moment. He's no flight risk. But yet they shackle him. They bind him. And the reason they've bound him It's simple. It's not because he's bad, it's because it makes him look bad. Only bad men who pose a serious threat to society should be bound and cuffed, right? I mean, look, if you woke up tomorrow morning and the SWAT team was outside your neighbor's house, your assumption would be that your neighbor's probably done some bad things. Or Or if you look outside your window and There's five cop cars and a whole bunch of policemen knocking on your neighbor's door, you'd have some questions about what's going on with your neighbor. Well, that's what they're doing. This is a show. John Nolan commented so well. He says, A man who needs to be to be bound is a man who represents a threat when he's free. And so they're gonna move Jesus through the city streets of Jerusalem to the place of Pilate, where Pilate is gonna pronounce that he's gonna be handed over to be crucified. They're moving him from Caiaphas to Pilate, from the high priest to the Roman ruler, and they're doing this now that it's daylight, the sun's out, bound and cuffed. Why? Because they want the people to think that he's bad. It's theatrics. Hypocrites are by definition actors, and they understand the rules of theater. And I hope you've seen this. I hope you've noticed this in our own times. If you think of the COVID theater that we've come through, so much of that was theater. It was simply optics. Make you think this is scary. Make you think these people are bad. I mean, I, I mean, uh, whether, it's, whether it's the various protocols that they tell us to go through, so much of it is theater to create, or was theater, to create fear. Boy, this must be really bad. I remember when Ford for, for, first announced the lockdown, I remember people saying, this must be really bad if he's willing to shut down society. Right? But I'll tell you, I mean, I've mean, i seen the police theater. Remember the first time I got charged, we had about five or six police cars sit outside our house. And there's a number of people in this church that had the same experience. Good family men, men in the church got ticketed for coming to church during those times, and the police would send five cars to their house just so all the neighbors look in and say, man, I bet you that guy beats his wife. Right? He must be a wife beater. If that's why they have that many cops show up, The joke was on them because my neighbors came to me within a day or two with cookies. (laughs) And then I got notes from my neighbors thanking us for what we were doing. So the joke was on them. Apparently, my neighbors saw through the optics and through the theater. But but the reality is nothing's changed as far as human nature goes. Liars love theater. They're so concerned not about the truth but what you think is the truth. They don't want you to know the truth. They want to create truth for you. And we live in a world of liars and optics right now, of pure hypocrisy. And this is what these men are concerned about. Man-made optics. That is an evil thing, to be more concerned about perception than reality. The death of Christ and the man-made effort And the death of Christ and the man-made optics was ought to teach us that we shouldn't always believe things just because we see them or because we hear them. We should really dig deep for the facts and try to discern what's going on. But how about this? Not only do we have the death of Christ and the man-made effort, we have the death of Christ and the man-made optics, but the death of Christ and the man-made collaboration. The man-made collaboration. And I think this is probably, for me personally, the most surprising aspect of this whole scene. It's not all the effort. It's not the optics, the theater, the hypocrisy. It's the collaboration that takes place between the Jewish leaders and and Pilate. It's the most surprising thing of the whole thing. Because all of this, this bridged the gap between two groups of people that were enemies. And they had him turned over to Pilate, and it all comes with one purpose, they hate Christ. But look at verse 2, and they bound him and led him away. There's the optics, now here's the collaboration, and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Let's talk about Pilate for a moment, because I want you to see why this collaboration between the Jewish leaders and Pilate is so surprising. Pilate, of course, was the fifth governor of Palestine. He was governor between A.D. 26 and A.D. 36, last about 10 years. He was appointed under Tiberius Caesar, and so he was a Roman pawn. He was the pawn of the tyrant. They they, they wanted to control. The Romans, they they ruled from top down. And so the way that they would colonize the world, they really wanted to unite the world under the Roman government. And the way that they did it, it was through military expansion. And once they'd take an area, the Romans, the, the Caesar would appoint a governor of that area, especially if that area was a little dicey as far as their behavior and loyalty to Rome. And so they would take here, and they did this successfully all over Europe and the Near East and North Africa. And so they would take these regions. And Pilate was appointed over Judea. They conquered the Jews. And he was the Roman governor of the area under the Caesar. Matthew Henry explains how Pilate was perceived not just by the Jews, but by the Romans in his comment. He said, Pilate is characterized by the Roman writers at that time as a man of rough and haughty spirit, willful and implacable and extremely covetous and oppressive. The Jews had great enmity to his person and were weary of his government. So he wasn't seen as a man of character, distinguished character by anyone. In fact, quite the opposite. So he was a scoundrel. As I noted, the Jews saw him as a puppet designed to oppress them by the tyrants in Rome. And typically, to demonstrate so much why the Jews would have hated him so much, is the, is the prefects, like Pilate, governed troubled areas of the empire. So there was special governors, like Pilate, who were appointed over certain geographical regions of the empire that were given towards resistance. And so you would appoint a prefect like Pilate in an area that that really had animosity towards the Romans. And Judea was one such area, and so the Romans appointed Pilate over that area because it was a troubled area, and because of their religion, um, really resented the Roman imposition, and really did perceive Rome as tyrannical. Um, Pontius Pilate actually normally lived in Caesarea, Caesarea by the the sea in the Mediterranean, but he came to Jerusalem during the feast times to keep an eye on things, because that was, if things were going to go down, if there was going to be a riot or an insurrection, it was going to be during the feast times. And so he would leave his villa or palatial estate by the Mediterranean and go more inland into Jerusalem during those times. And so that's why he was there. He'd, He'd vacated his nice little area there by the sea. And he was there to keep an eye on things. And if things got out of hand, or they got rowdy, then he could settle them down pretty quick with his troops. And so the Jews hated him. They knew why he was there. He was there to watch them. He was there to squelch any type of resistance to Rome. And he he was a bad character. He had Roman soldiers actually once brought ensigns into Jerusalem at his order. That was sacrilege to the Jews. And the Jews protested, and he threatened to kill all the protesters. Now, the Jews, um, in their protest, actually quite honorably said, fine, come kill us, but we're not standing for this. And he actually backed off. So not only was he vicious, but he was a wet noodle. He was a political man. And on another occasion, he used the temple money. So he stole money from the temple. He called it tax, but he stole money from the temple to build a Roman aqueduct. The Jews rose up and they protested what he did, and and this time he didn't back off. He clubbed them into submission. So he brought out his army and he beat them for protesting his theft from their temple to build this Roman aqueduct. He once massacred a group of religious fanatics later on in his reign, and that probably was what led to his eventual demise. But the Jews hated him. He hated the Jews. He was arrogant, cruel, wet noodle, no spine, insecure leader, and very oppressive. And the Jews saw him. On top of all these character flaws, he was the representative of Roman tyranny in Judea. And yet, despite their hatred of the tyrant Pilate, they hated Christ more. They hated Christ more. They'd rather be ruled by a tyrant than ruled by Christ. Does that sound like anyone to you? Doesn't that sound like our own country? They'd rather be ruled by tyranny than ruled by Christ. A people who would rather be governed by the heavy hand of oppressive governments than self-governed under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Our own nation and many of the churches within it, in a horrifying way, resemble this. We don't want Jesus. He's speaking to our sins. He's hitting our hearts. He, he's, he's getting into our business. And so we'll just keep him away. And, and it's, it's not... You know, the tyranny and the, the, the heavy burden that the government puts upon us is not quite as bad as the call to repentance. So when it really comes down to it, God, it's very clear in Scripture, God sends tyrants to judge people who are disobedient to Him. And it really comes down to it, the reason that the tyrants come is because the people won't self-govern under Christ. And we have a nation that would you know, oh yeah, we don't like tyranny, but boy, won't give up the porn, or the drunkenness. Won't give up the sodomy or the marijuana. But, but we don't like tyranny, but we like our sin a lot more than we don't like tyranny. And that's where we are right now as a country. And they needed a plot to convince Pilate to join them. And so they're collaborating with this wicked man. And they're looking for a plot, and they need some way to do that. And so, what they do is, Luke tells us, is they accuse Jesus of treason against Rome. If you look at Luke chapter 23, verse 2, I'll just read it for you. It should be on the screen. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ the king. See, they're accusing Jesus of sedition, they don't like the Romans. In fact they resent them. But what are they doing? They have to paint Jesus as a bad guy, so we'll go around and we'll accuse Jesus of treason and sedition against Rome, so hopefully the Romans turn on him. And really these men are the real traitors. Because they'll betray one of their own people to save face, even if that means turning one of their own people over to the Roman tyrants. And very often Throughout history and certainly throughout throughout Scripture, the false church often turns to the godless magistrate or the godless government to silence the true church. And there's this man-made collaboration that takes place. David Dixon, who knew well he was a Puritan in the 17th century and would have seen the oppressive measures of some of the tyrant kings in the 17th century, he said on this text, it is no new thing to see corrupt church governors abuse the civil magistrate in execution of their unjust and cruel conclusions. It's not new. The Jews collaborated with Rome because they hate Christ. And you may have been surprised recently to see how church leaders act on various political issues, selling out the Word of God and Throwing the brethren under the bus, why? Because they're traitors to King Jesus, and without the Holy Spirit working in their heart, they will continue to be loyal to Caesar over Christ and Caesar over Christ Church. And the need of the hour is repentance, because there is a collaborative effort that goes on between false Christianity and godless governments that repeats itself throughout the ages. There's a terrible collaboration that takes place, whereby the Jews collaborated with Romans because they so hated Jesus Christ. So what do we have in this? We have a man-made effort, we have man-made optics, and we have man-made collaboration. People that you wouldn't think would get along. This is why, like political alliances, political compromising principle for politics can be very dangerous. Because unprincipled people, I don't care what stripe they're on politically, they could be in the far left or the far right. If they don't have a reverence and fear of Jesus Christ, nothing will unite them more than a hatred of Jesus. Whether they're NDP or conservative or liberal. If they don't have a fear of Christ, have a reverence for Him, they will quickly unite together because they so hate being confronted with their sin and so love their wickedness. Political arrangements can be very dangerous and we're much better to operate on principle and simply force people to make a decision on how they're going to deal with the ones who are principled than we are to compromise our principles for the sake of what we perceive as political advantage. These people were sworn enemies, but they have no problem uniting together. Why? Because they hate the righteousness of God. Absolutely hate it. So what have we seen in this? Well, we've seen... A man-made effort, man-made optics, and man-made collaboration in the death of Jesus Christ. All of this to kill Christ. But this is the way it had to be. Because this is the way God planned it. And this is the way God ordained it, and this is the way Christ said it would happen. So I'm just going to look at three different verses in Matthew where it's very clear that Christ said this would happen. As early as Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third and on the third day be raised. And then chapter 17, verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day. And they're greatly distressed. In Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day. Behind all of this human effort is divine providence orchestrating it all to purchase salvation for God's people by the blood of the cross. What man intends for evil, God intends for good. And it's not like this is 50% God and 50% man. It's 100% God and 100% man. Somehow, man is operating within his moral agency, and somehow God is, is sovereign over every last decision. And it's, God is using all of these people and all of their effort and all of their work to advance His kingdom. So with application, we need to search our own hearts. Why? Well, because we can see how easy it is to be caught up in wicked plots. If you were in that day, you think about all the powerful people, the religious people and the political people, are now united in in one sense to kill Christ. All the fancy people have come together for a reason. Surely if all those really smart, powerful people are doing it, it must be right? Right? See how easy it is to be taken if you're not walking close with Christ? The only way to not be taken is if your heart's broken and you're desiring to follow Jesus at all costs. That's it. Your eyes are on Christ. So you've got to be careful. And, and we should not be bedazzled with power because we see how powerful men can easily be taken by Satan Instead, we should be, would stand in awe of the truth. That's what should, should grab our attention, is truth. Jesus Christ is the truth, a love of the truth, a desire for the truth, no matter what the truth. Whatever the high and mighty say, we want the truth. We want to operate by the truth. We don't want to let anything go for the sake of the truth. We cling to the truth, and that's Christ. And we should see in this how men who, otherwise, men who otherwise hate each other will find common ground because they hate Jesus Christ. People who even claim to be religious can sometimes be the most wicked people there are. And we should see how hatred motivates their effort. And then we should be confident that the love of Christ should propel us in our efforts, which is a much, much more powerful force than the hatred that comes from hell. Our love of Christ is so much more powerful than any hatred that comes from hell. And God's greatest exploits will come when people humble themselves before God and they pray and they fast and they seek His kingdom to advance. And we should be full of gratitude. Why? For what Christ has done for us, what God has done for us in Christ. Christ went through all of this Then we get to the place of the cross. Why? To atone for our sins. It was God's plan. It was God's purpose. Do you believe in Christ? Are your sins forgiven? Do you know Him as your Savior? Have you repented? Have you received your full pardon? All of this was to purchase sinners. And if you haven't come to Christ, you should come to Him today and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and find complete forgiveness for all of your sins. This is why all of... God was over all of this to orchestrate the atonement for sins that comes by the blood of the cross. Let me have a word of prayer for you. Father, I pray for all who are here today, all who have listened, all who will listen. I pray that Jesus Christ would be preeminent in their minds and in their hearts, and He would be treasured supremely. That we would all look to the cross, all would find comfort in the cross, be turned away from the the plans and plots of evil men, and we would be fixated upon Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.